Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook. As United proved, Villa Park is a tough place to go to. Ralph hasn't got a job, Potter cracks under the process, and small-town boy Crescencio proves he's the best acquisition of a Somerville since Bronski beat or in Jimmy. This is the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Well, where should we start, Darren? I don't know what to do. Please guide me, if at all possible, in the right direction. What what game should we pick on first? I'll let you decide. I don't want to spur you on, but maybe it might be worth looking in the red corner. Okay, so we go to Villa Park first. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm getting confirmation that, <laughs> that is what we should do. Um, first game in charge of Unai Emery, it turns out, is a miracle worker, Alex. Yeah, they played well. Aston Villa, didn't they? Quickly out the blocks. Manchester United couldn't handle them for the first 10, 15 minutes and uh, the damage was done. Bizarre team selections from Eric Ten Hag. Donny van der Beek to keep his place after such a woeful display in Europe on Thursday was baffling. I think Ganacho is a very young player, very talented young player, but not for me, ready to start games regularly in the Premier League. And Ronaldo was a bystander up front. So all in all, a disappointing day for Manchester United. But I'm not going to get too carried away. First defeat in nine games. So don't expect negative Nancy to suddenly reappear on this podcast. I know that's what you were hoping for. You know, it's back in the day when, um, you know, Manchester United would lose like this every single week. We would have had a 10-minute rant dissecting all of the problems. The problems would be the same every week, but we'd get them dissected on a regular basis. So he's just, he's he, obviously now he's lost Ralph Harsenhutl as his best mate in football. <laughs> Eric Ten Hag has got the crook arms snaking around his shoulders, hugging him close. Eric, I want to take you for some fritz and mayonnaise. Um, Darren, what did you think of the performance from Manchester United? It was a surprise, um, surprisingly poor, because they have been a much better outfit under Ten Hag. The fact that they'd been hit with two goals as quickly as they had been, that too was a surprise. The second goal I wasn't too fussed about because that was just individual brilliance. That can happen in any game. But the way that they were so open for that first and third goal, that did alarm me. Interestingly, I'm not really sure why Ronaldo's been angling to leave the club for months, was given the armband. And also, I think he's had four sets of 90 minutes now to maybe make the case for staying in the side. And I don't think in any one of those 90 minutes, he's justified his inclusion. And all the people almost desperate to see him roll back the years. They're being provided with the evidence of their own eyes that he no longer is an automatic pick, surely, Crook? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the issue is that Anthony Martial is still not fully fit. Um, I'd have played Marcus Rashford up front. He played out wide and was was a passenger. But I think what this shows is that the squad depth for Manchester United is still an issue. I'm not convinced there'll be a lot of money to spend in January. I think there does need to be more investment in January. And I think Ronaldo needs to go in January. This should be the last week of his second coming at Manchester United. It's best for all concerned. I was surprised he was given the captain's armband as well. I wonder what sort of message that sends out from Eric Ten Hag, uh, given that it wasn't that long ago he was refusing to come on as sub and storming down the tunnel before the final whistle. Um, uh, Aston Villa had not beaten Manchester United on home soil since 1995. Can you remember what you were doing in 1995? I remember that game. It was the first game of uh, the 95-96 season. It's when Alan Hansen famously said, you don't win anything with kids, and they went on to win the double. Uh, what was I doing on that day? Probably playing football in the park. I would have been 
13 years old, I think. Badly playing football in the park, I would imagine. You <laughs> probably deployed it right back and found yourself up front. Uh, Darren, you were probably just starting to collect your pension around that time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, Jacob Ramsey, though, is the fourth player in the Premier League uh, history with a goal assist and an own goal in a single Premier League match. And he's still a young player with a bright future, I think. Uh, Darren, he was... He, he had a lot going on in this game. Yeah, he has done. He has a, he's had a lot going on in quite a few games. Uh, lovely finish, uh, great industry, creativity, provides lots of pace as well. And you could see why they rate him so highly at the club. I just look at Unai Emery, you know, as a guy who can get the best out of young players like Jacob Ramsey, but also out of some of the older players who had perhaps been drifting at Aston Villa. If you look at the Villarreal side, I say it time and again, they weren't a side of stellar names that he lifted the Europa League with um, and got to the final. Um, they were cast-offs from Premier League clubs that he managed to get together, mould, get a good work ethic out of them and get them all focused in the right direction. That's what I think he will do at Villa, even though before yesterday's game, he said, look, a lot of you are playing for your futures at the club. You need to tell me whether or not you're up for it or not. And I think with that performance, all of them told him they want to be part of his plans going forward. Hey, look, he's got a great pedigree on the continent. He didn't really work out for him at Arsenal. He wants to prove everybody wrong. And Aston Villa have given him the platform to do that. Um, you know, you look back at some of the other sides that we've covered in, in Europe over the course of the last few months, and you can see how many Premier League players actually are thriving in different environments. And sometimes you just need a different manager with a different way of working to bring the best, the best out of you. I mean, I look, I was at Marseille the other night. Nuno Tavares has been absolutely outstanding in that team. And he's just been handled differently. He's been given different responsibilities. He's working a different system. He's obviously a very good player that has a lot about him. He might not be up to top half Premier League quality, but he's got something and can make a really good career for himself. And there's a few other players in that uh, Marseille team as well that, that, that Sean, a bit like the Villarreal team, didn't work out in the Premier League, but have worked out on the continent. There might be some in the Villa um, ranks that haven't worked out under Steven Gerrard, but might work out under Unai Emery. What's gone wrong at Southampton? Beaten again at home by Newcastle by four goals to one. And I think probably now we can say with some degree of certainty that Ralph Hasenhutl, if he will be having a pint with Crook, will have to be in Austria because he will not be sticking around the South Coast for much longer. Fired? Yeah, uh, we're recording this podcast uh, on Monday morning. I expect a, a formal announcement at some point on Monday. I think we, we we touched on it on the podcast at the weekend. It was always going to happen uh, during the World Cup break. I think the nature of the defeat against Newcastle has accelerated uh, Ralph Hasenhutl's departure. The replacement is already lined up. I believe they want that replacement in situ for Liverpool away next weekend. So good luck with that one. Bit of a baptism of fire. Four years, as I said on, on uh, Thursday's pod, is, is a long time to be a Southampton manager. And I think he will know and the board certainly know that now is the right time for a change. But I do think some Saints fans are judging him harshly. I think at some point in the last three years, they probably should have got relegated. The fact they didn't is testament to to the job he's done. He had no money to spend until this summer. I guess the irony is he finally gets his hands on some cash, spends £70 million, and it doesn't seem to have improved the team. So, um, yeah, he'll be disappointed. But whoever comes in has got a big job on their hands because despite the fact they spent £70 million, they spent it largely on young players. And what we know from young players is they're going to make mistakes along the way. So this is going to be a tough season for Southampton, whoever comes in. Yeah, I mean, is there some question here, actually, Darren, that has to be asked of those above Ralph Hasenhutl who allowed him to spend money on players that not necessarily were going to improve the first team and were players for the future that they hoped to develop and make money on later down the line. In a sense, gambling a little bit with their expenditure. Yes, in a word. I, I'm not really sure what Southampton, this Southampton, expect or want to be. If you, you're you going to sack a guy that you're tasked with basically producing players so that the club can sell, if you're working on that basis, of course you're going to be in and around the bottom of the Premier League. If anything, I think he's done an outstanding job at the club. And if they're going to sack him and they're going to bring somebody in, I'm not really sure that, that 
that their expectations can be much higher than they are already. I think that Crooks just basically made the case that I would have made. I I feel a lot of sympathy for him because established players who are ambitious are not going to go to Southampton because Southampton don't aspire to bigger things. They aspire to a model. They know their place in the food chain. I don't particularly think they have ambition in terms of buying experienced players with a view to a push to a top six, for example. They're always going to be mid-table to bottom of the table. And I think he's done okay. And I think he is being harshly treated. And actually, they've done well to have him for as long as they have done. It is a total of one win in nine matches in all competitions, though. And that is a... That is a statistic that is is not enhanced when you take it back into the back end of last year. He's had ups and downs, peaks and troughs as a manager. There was one point where he was fighting at the top of the table and was very close. In fact, he did go to the top of the table after beating Liverpool in a game in January in uh, at St Mary's. But the drop-off after that was quite severe. And, and that has been a criticism that has been levelled at him for quite some time. Do you think that his time in England is over, Crook? That's a really interesting question because when Aston Villa appointed Steven Gerrard, they were big admirers of Ralph Hasenhut. So we know that some of the top clubs have also looked uh, to Ralph Hasenhut in the not too distant past. So it is a question of how much the last few months have damaged his reputation. It wouldn't surprise me if he pitched up again, although he, he did talk, didn't he, about retiring um, a couple of years ago. And actually, since he started that retirement talk, Southampton's form has fallen off a cliff. I think that if you're going to criticise Ralph Hasenhutl, his man management has left a bit to be desired. He's not particularly close to the players in the dressing room. He was not close to his old coaching staff, not particularly close to the new coaching staff that were brought in around him in the summer. So I think there are areas where he can improve. But it's feast or famine, isn't it, with Ralph Hasenhutl? They either go on long unbeaten runs, as you say, top of the table for the first time in 30 years, an FA Cup semi-final on his watch, or they go on long runs where they can't win a game and uh, probably been too many of them. There aren't many managers who survive not one but two 9-0 defeats, and uh, I think he's just run out of lives. We haven't mentioned Newcastle, who were the other team in this game. They won 4-1. They were very good again. Almiron scored another goal, 7-7 seven seven now, and Eddie Howe celebrates his one-year anniversary this week. How should we sum up his first 12 months, Crook? Seamless. Sensational. Uh, they were bottom of the league when he took over. Had to defy history because uh, I think they've been on such a, a, a winless run that no team had ever survived in the Premier League on the back of such a poor run. He kept them up with something to spare last season. His signings to a man have worked out very well. Even Chris Wood, I forgot he was still a Newcastle player, pops up with an important goal at St Mary's on Sunday. And as uh, our talk sport colleague, Jim White, he was at the game. He texted me afterwards. He said, I tell you what, they're going to take some stopping this season. And and you look at Manchester United, you, you look at Chelsea, we'll talk about later. You look at Liverpool's problems. If there's a season for somebody outside the established top six to gatecrash the top four, Newcastle might just have timed their run perfectly. Yep, it is, it is possible. Um, and they are in a great run of form. Um, it'd be interesting to see, Darren, how they handle the break in the season, won't it? Because right now they are the team that, a bit like Arsenal, do not want this World Cup to start. Absolutely. The break's come at the wrong time for them. The momentum's outstanding. I, I always point, despite their ability to score goals, they've got a fantastic defensive base. The recruitment there has been outstanding. They've not necessarily been stellar players that they've brought. Just canny recruitment, left back, right back. They realised when they took over uh, from the side left by Steve Bruce that they had to completely rebuild that defence and get a new keeper. That's what they've done. Grimarish has been a fantastic signing for them and he would probably, well, he is, he's the most expensive one of all of them. But they have provided the platform for the offensive players to express themselves and I think they're very much in the hunt I do believe despite their ability to score goals they need to get another striker it might be in January it might be next summer but if they can get another striker I think they could stay in and around that top six and maybe even challenge for the top four Arsenal must win to go top that's the level that's the challenge that's the Premier League you've got to beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge to be top of this league. Martinelli denied by a wonderful block from Thiago Silva. And then as a free kick now goes Arsenal's way, 
Martinelli cutting in Phil into a shooting position, played into Gabriel Jesus, he had a chance, there was no flag. Both teams are trying to assert themselves in their way, Aubameyang just asserted himself on white with a late sliding challenge, and that's going to be the first yellow card of the afternoon. So Thiago Silva comes forward and is dispossessed by Gabriel Jesus, and here's Saka, and Gabriel Jesus inside the box and goes for glory himself, forces a save from Mendy, but boy, he had Granit Xhaka there for a cutback. Saka left-footed, steered in towards the near post, it's found a way through, and found a way in from Gabriel! Arsenal lead at Stamford Bridge! Arsenal scored the first goal in 16 of the 19 games they played this season, there are only two Defeats have come in games in which they conceded first. And if you're an Arsenal fan celebrating at the sound of that goal, listen to this. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang substituted. Cannot say they're not title challengers. Down the touchline towards Gabriel Jesus. Arsenal go top of the league again. They have won at Chelsea for the third consecutive season. Chelsea nil, Arsenal won. Um, well, should we just talk about Arsenal and how good they have been? I mean, to go to Chelsea and win, Arteta's fifth, 150th game in charge. We were told to trust the process. The process has certainly worked for them. Um, okay, uh, Leila cards on the table. I'm irritated about this. Um, why did Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang do a uh, promo video for BT Sport going into the game in which he said, I'm now a blue uh, and I'm back, and all this kind of stuff, and then spend 90 minutes not doing anything. Because he's arrogant, and he believes his own hype, and he set himself up for a fall. Uh, I have to say, he was star of the service, let's be honest. Uh, Kai Havertz got himself into a couple of really good positions to lay goals on a plate for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and he didn't do it. You know, One of them he fired straight into the arms of Aaron Ramsdale when he had a simple cutback. So I don't think it was necessarily that Aubameyang underperformed. I think he just couldn't get in the game because of those around him. Raheem Sterling was really poor as well, albeit he had a car crash in Kukurea behind him. I don't know what's going on with Kukurea uh, at the moment, but there are so many Chelsea players struggling for form. Mason Mount, I think, has only scored two Premier League goals all season, and they were in one game against Aston Villa. So the forward players are a real problem for Graham Potter, but I just don't think it was a very clever idea for Aubameyang to do that, and his only contribution in the end was a yellow card for what was... Quite a poor challenge, actually. Not his only contribution. He did touch the ball eight times uh, before getting taken off after 63 minutes. Uh, Darren, um, why were Chelsea so insipid? Well, first of all, I do just want to address the Aubameyang thing. All of us know that that's what the people who, they have the Premier League day where they ask you to come and they film the titles and they obviously have key fixtures in mind and they get you to do the kind of thing we don't normally see players and managers doing we saw Arteta with his arms stretched out behind his back and then you know we see lots of different managers who are normally quite sober figures if you like doing kind of the fun hip things that the kids do so I think that's a little bit unfair coating off um, Aubameyang for basically doing what they're asking him to do and to show a bit of personality Um, and that's what we want let's not let's not be have a double standard here we want players to have a bit of personality we talk up games but we're saying the individuals the protagonists in those games shouldn't talk up those games I think that's unfair I do agree with what you were saying about the fact that he didn't offer that much and he vindicated Arsenal's decision to sell him I do think he gets a bad rap because he scored 68 goals for the club and helped them basically carried them on his back uh, in the season that they won the FA Cup and Okay, he, he's got his own issues that he's got to address and the reasons why he was bombed out of Arsenal. Arteta will turn around and say, I've been utterly vindicated. I can't, I've got no complaints whatsoever about that. He was poor. Why are they poor? It might be because he's trying to move from a five to a four, but defensively, that's just not working. And just what I said about Newcastle having a sound defensive base, Chelsea don't have that at the moment, even though they've got outstanding players at the back. I think as Piliqueta's age is catching up with him, they're missing Reese James, they're missing Ben Chilwell. Koulibaly I love as a player, but it just doesn't have that same impact in the Premier League that he had in Serie A. And they don't have any protection for that back four as well because they're missing N'Golo Kante badly. They need a real rebuild at uh, Stamford Bridge. And I think that's going to take some time. I think they could be the most vulnerable team of all of the contenders for the top four. 
Well, first of all, I don't want to go into the Aubameyang thing too much, but I, I will say I do want him to show personality. I do want him to be able to do those things where he, he, he makes a big thing about a game that's upcoming. But if you're going to do that, you need to show that personality and that, uh, that, that, that sort of arrogance, if that's what it is, or that confidence on the pitch as well. And he didn't do that, which is a problem for Chelsea. So I think that needs to, those two things need to go hand in hand. The second thing is, is that Chelsea's biggest issue right now is, well, they can't have another rebuild. They just had one in the summer and they, they can't, surely they can't afford to spend any more money in, in January. But their problem has been and has been for a very long time, the midfield. The midfield is a massive, massive issue. I think I sat here talking about the midfield after the first five or six games of the last season suggesting that that is the area where Chelsea relinquished too much control to the opposition. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek are still playing in the centre of the park. Kovacic sometimes comes in there. Without Ongolo Conte, Chelsea look a mad light in the middle of the, the pitch. Maybe that's because he does the work of two people and therefore the fact that they only play two in a midfield which is usually crowded out by three elsewhere means that he does enough work to, to get them out of that hole. But how can you how can you how can you go into a match and think that it's sensible to play Jorginho and Loftus cheek together alongside each other when you've got Granite Xhaka, Martin Erdegaard, Thomas Party, and Oleg Zinchenko, who wanders in from left back into midfield to make up almost like a box of four midfield players in the middle of the park. Chelsea were outnumbered by double. And that is a major, major problem. Speak to any coach. The game is won and lost in midfield. And Chelsea too often relinquish control of that midfield. Yeah, you're spot on. I guess the injury problems with Kovacic have played a big part in that. It was interesting to see Graham Potter, and I know this infuriated you a bit as well, talking about being at the start of a process. This is not Brighton. You know, this is Chelsea, a club whose fans are used to seeing them challenge for top four minimum that hasn't been enough to keep a lot of managers in a job they're used to challenging for for trophies so I think Graham Potter is going to have to adjust his mindset he's probably got the safety blanket of that briefing that the owners gave when he got the job saying that it doesn't matter if he doesn't finish in the top four we're not going to be reactive I think if they keep losing games if they keep being so far adrift the top four that might just test the owner's patience so a, a lot of problems there as I say and a lot of players not performing to the best of their capabilities and that's a major concern I, I think just to add to what you've said Crook I, and I totally agree with what you've said I think that on the basis of the owner's actions around Thomas Tuchel you cannot trust them because uh, basically uh, they, they, they had Thomas Tuchel and this is almost a nod to what you're asking Sam can you have another rebuild well the players they brought in during the summer were the rebuild for Thomas Tuchel. They were not Graham Potter's players. And I don't think Graham Potter would have picked those players. So they've brought in a set of players that don't work for the manager that they had always intended to bring in to replace the manager that had been in place. And the idea that they're going to stick with him even though they don't finish in the top four, well, that's just not sustainable. You, you can't trust that. A, because they've shown themselves that they you can't go on their word. And B, because the riches, the money is in the Champions League. You cannot go for any sustained period of time not being in the Champions League. You look at the way it's hurt Arsenal. You look at the way it's hurt Manchester United. You look at the premium you have to play for players, top players, if you are not in the Champions League. And the idea that they'll stick with anybody if they don't, get into the top four is absolute fantasy. Yep. Um, and they've spent a hell of a lot of money on some good players that can't even defend a near post corner. I mean, Kai Havertz was worth nearly 80 million quid, but uh, when they all comes in towards that near post and he just wafts a left foot it, what can you do? What can you do? I mean, how he wasn't dragged off the minute that happened, I'll never know. In fact, he was dragged off the minute it happened. Yeah, he was dragged off literally seconds after that happened. Good, because he deserved to be. Um, um, Chelsea had one shot on target in the game there were 11 attempts by Arsenal one shot off target as well so Chelsea had two attempts on goal in a home match in a London derby wow wow with Aubameyang Havertz Mount Sterling Loftus-Cheek Jorginho Cucurella Afpilicueta Thiago Silva and Chalabar in the team it's absolutely unbelievable that they produced that performance 
um, in a big London derby. Bearing in mind that Arsenal actually played on the Thursday night as well. So it's a bit frustrating, I think, for Chelsea supporters everywhere, whoever they may be. Have we got any tissues? Have we got any tissues for Sam? Sam, are you crying? Uh, you look a bit upset, mate. You look a bit upset. There's a little, there's a little tear here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. The Erling Haaland is back for Manchester City, but only amongst the substitutes. De Bruyne picks it up. Right hand oh! goes down under Robertson's challenge. Yes. Penalty, Man City. Haaland steps up left footed. Oh, it's in. Creeps under Bert Leno. Haaland rips his shirt off. Waves it around his head. He's won the game for Manchester City. Somerville, who scored the winner at Anfield last week, he did the same again. Leeds United 4, Bournemouth 3. Pascal Gross has scored, again created by Matoma, who has been outstanding. Walls 2, Brighton 3. Sensational, stunning, Yuri Tillman. Forest 2, Brentford 2. We're in the 97th minute here. 93 minutes played, it's West Ham 1, Crystal Palace 2, and it's that man, Michael Elise. Full-time Aston Villa 3, Man United 1. Life under Unai Emery has started very sweetly indeed. And then straight up the other end, there was Bruno Gameras to curl into the far corner of the net. Southampton 1, Newcastle 4. Bad day for Tottenham after Arsenal's win earlier. They are eight points behind their North London rivals. Tottenham 1, Liverpool 2. Saka left-footed, steered in towards the near post. It's found a way through and found a way in from Gabriel. Arsenal lead at Stamford Bridge. Arsenal go top of the league again. They have won at Chelsea. Uh, Tottenham 1, Liverpool 2. Liverpool secured their first Premier League away win of the season. Uh, Mo Salah, brilliant, I thought. The two goals that he scored were excellent. Um, Perisic hit the woodwork twice before Harry Kane scored what ended up being a consolation goal. But I suppose the big question here, Darren, is why on earth did Tottenham once again get themselves into a situation where they don't start playing until later on in games. I know you're absolutely right. Four games now in a row where they've given the opposition a head start and they obviously the previous two... Two goal head start. Sorry. <laughs> last two. Two goal two head goal start. Head start. Well, indeed. Sporting, Bournemouth, Marseille and now they're giving uh, Liverpool a two goal head start rather than a one goal head start. And... I mean, there was a piece with Stellini, one of the Spurs coaches in the Sunday papers, where he was saying, you know, they look to conserve their energy in the first half and really go for it in the second half. That's just not sustainable as a, as a, as a theory. Um, and when you come up against quality like they did yesterday, they are going to get hurt. I think as far as Spurs are concerned, they did play well in that second half and, and were value for more than just the one goal. But, you know, you don't get points for artistic impression. And I think Liverpool deserved the victory on the basis of what they'd done in the first half. I don't think either side is where they want to be right now, but I think Liverpool are showing that there's still a little bit of a beating pulse there. Uh, the return of Kulisevsky uh, showing that um, he is vital to them going forward in the next uh, little while. I mean, obviously, he's only got a couple of games now between now and the uh, the World Cup, so he will... Uh, be ready and raring to go by the time we come back in January. But he's important to them, especially because 
Richarlison and Son are not available right at this moment in time. They need to put points on the board next weekend. They need to try and keep their hopes of the Carabao Cup alive in midweek as well. Um, but his return is a plus point for Antonio Conte. Um, Alexander-Arnold, I mean, we've got to be on England watch here. Alexander-Arnold got absolutely panned by Gary Neville in the latter part of this game uh, on Sky. Um, and quite rightly so. Liverpool did, trying to defend a 2-1 lead going into the final few minutes, brought on Joe Gomez, right, to try and stiffen up their back lines. They went to a flat back five to desperately try and keep Tottenham at bay because actually the last part of the game was the most interesting part of the game because Tottenham were throwing everything at it in the way that Tottenham do not everything at it, but sort of like, you know, the, the Conte, everything at it. Um, and Liverpool were defending because they wanted that three points. There was that moment when, I, was it, I think it was when Perisic hit the bar, was it? Where, where, where Alexander-Arnold is not in the line of the defenders. He's high up on the right-hand side. And Tottenham come down the left-hand side, create their opportunity and almost score. And Neville's like, what? I don't understand what he is doing there. That, that lack of an ability to sense danger... That is a real worry because England are going to rely on him arguably as the first choice right back, aren't they? No, I think Trippier will be the first choice right back. I think he has to be. Um, to- he might have to be the first choice left back. Yeah, although I think Luke Shaw probably has, has performed well enough to get that role. It's interesting to see what they do with Ben White. You know, if you're talking about inform fullbacks. I know Ben White probably doesn't offer as much going forward as, as Trent Alexander-Arnold, although actually if you look at his stats this season, they're pretty good in that respect. I think it's a travesty if, if Trent Alexander-Arnold gets called up and Ben White doesn't. You know, Ben White offers that versatility. He's p- playing in a team that are full of confidence. He's playing in a team that are, are keeping clean sheets. All of the things you can't attach to Trent Alexander-Arnold at this moment in time. Eric Dyer, Darren. Another England defender making routine errors, but making errors not once, not twice, but consistently at the heart of that defence. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by Eric Dyer because I don't think he's a centre-half, although you know managers who have achieved a lot in the game deploy him in that position. But I think he's a midfielder. I think he's a much better midfielder than a, a, a centre-half. And as you say, the mistakes underlie his ability to retain his focus during a match. He's a really good player, but just not in that position. And I've said before on the pod, I know that Conti has a huge interest in Bastonia into Milan and one or two other centre-halves. And I think when he's finished his overall recruitment, I don't think Dyer will be in that back line. I think it will be Romero, Bastoni or another. I don't even think they'll play with a five. I think they'll play with a two, with a four, with two centre-halves. Um, and I expect Dyer at the very least, to be in midfield, although Bissouma was outstanding yesterday and you can see why they've been so patient with him. I think he's now really starting to show why they invested in him. But um, yeah, that was a real worry and I'm not really sure what what, what happens as far as Dyer is concerned. I think they might pick him because of his versatility for the World Cup, but um, he wouldn't be a first pick for me. I totally disagree with you. It won't surprise you about Alexander-Arnold, but that's for another day. (laughs) Arsenal, top of the table, 34 points from 13 games. Manchester City, 32 points from 13. Newcastle in third, 27 from 14. Tottenham in fourth, 26 from 14. They've dropped a place this weekend. And Manchester United up into fifth, 23 points from 13 games, despite losing at Aston Villa. Brighton just below them, then Chelsea and Liverpool. Liverpool, 19 points from 13 games. They are... As it stands right now, seven points off the top four. Chelsea, um, five points off the top four. Both of them have a game in hand over Tottenham Hotspur. Let's get to the rest of the weekend's action, talking about this balmy game at Wolverhampton Wanderers where there were actually goals. Um, Manchester City um, saw the return of a monster striker and arguably the best and most entertaining game of the week happened at Ellen Road. Leeds four, Bournemouth three. Um, first time these two have met in the top flight. And boy, didn't they give us a treat. Leeds were booed off at half time, cheered to the rafters at full time. A game that shows the assets and issues that Leeds have. They will always have the ability to score against you, Darren. But defensively, as a result, they are so open. <laughs> but they're so much fun to watch. Come on, give them their credit. Oh, they're so much fun to watch. Listen, listen. If you said to me, Sam, here's some money. Go and buy a ticket to a football team, Leeds United. 
I mean, literally, you know that their games are going to be pantomime from start to finish. Well, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think as far as um, Leeds coming from 3-1 down to get back-to-back wins is concerned, it shows just how much the players are playing for Jesse Marsh. And I, I say that every time I come on the pod, but I do want to reinforce that point because we are the media and everyone says, oh, the media are giving him a hard time. Well, we can counter that by making it clear on the evidence of our own eyes that he commands respect in that dressing room and I look at the way they fought for him I look at the celebrations at the end of the match people say oh they're very cavalier and they play footballing suicide no they're fearless they're enterprising they don't want to sit on leads they want to give people the the the, the value for for money and I, I enjoyed watching them. I love the way that young players like Nonto, as well as Somerville, who were the heroes against Liverpool last week, uh, come on and express themselves and he gives them the platform to do that. I love watching his team and I hope he stays for the long term. Um, Melier, Somerville, Nonto, Greenwood and Gelhart were all on the pitch at the same time at one point in that game on Saturday. They were required for a total of £15 million. That is some batch of recruitment, isn't it, Crook? Yeah, and it was ironic, actually, that Nonto played a part in it because I know Bournemouth uh, thought they had a really good chance of signing him in the summer. So um, that just adds insult to injury. I was devastated for Gary O'Neill because you look at the game, they could have been 5-1 up at half-time. It would have been no exaggeration. Then Leeds come back in the second half and for the second week in a row, I think the first time, actually, in Premier League history to be two goals up in two successive games and lose them both. It exploits the lack of squad depth a little bit. I think Gary also possibly has to answer some questions about his in-game management, not just on Saturday, but probably against Spurs as well. And I think probably if there was any doubt, that that makes the board's decision that Gary O'Neill isn't going to be the man to take Bournemouth forward. I think he'll still have a good managerial career, probably will get his chance in the championship, but they'll go in a new direction now. And I just hope they've got two games this week, uh, both against Everton. I hope he can pick up a win in at least one of those and go out on a high. Um, it he did talk about locking off the box right at the end of the game because there was 3-3. They had a chance at the other end and they didn't do that. They allowed themselves to be counter-attacked upon and they obviously gave away the goal, which meant that Leeds won the match. Jesse Marsh says, I feel like we never have any simple victories. You know what? From the outside looking in, that's great, Jesse. Keep going because it, it, it's fascinating and entertaining. But Bournemouth played some good stuff as well. You're right to point out their first half performance was particularly impressive. The goal from Dominic Solanke. Now, Dominic Solanke gets a lot of stick and he hasn't scored a lot of Premier League goals over his time. But Dominic Solanke's goal was gorgeous. Get your thesaurus out, open the page where it's got gorgeous and underneath it, it will say Dominic Solanke's goal against Leeds United. No, it won't say, it won't say Alex Crook. <laughs> <laughs> It was. Listen, um, I've certainly been critical of Dominic Solanke in the past. I think we're seeing a better Dominic Solanke in the Premier League this time um, than when he first joined Bournemouth in that big money move from Liverpool. I think he provides a focal point. Uh, I think his energy levels have improved and I think his confidence has improved as well. That wasn't the type of goal that he would even have attempted to score last time around. So I think that's one big positive uh, for whoever comes in to replace Gary O'Neill. Um, also, in the aftermath of what happened right at the very end, everyone forgets that Sam Greenwood scored his first senior goal and that was a very good goal as well. Really well taken. I like that. Um, but I am a bit concerned about Bournemouth from set pieces and in particular Mark Travers, who's had a, a bit of a tough time from them. Um the Liam Cooper goal in particular was a bit of an issue for him. He hasn't covered himself in glory since replacing Neto, has he? No, he hasn't. And that, that's been a massive blow for Bournemouth, uh, not just in terms of on the pitch, but in the dressing room as well. Neto, a, a really big personality, really big character, someone who commands the box. I, I think Mark Travers is not quite ready to be a Premier League number one. I think they know that. And actually, you look at his performances, I think he probably knows that as well. He just looks completely devoid of confidence at the moment. Uh, one of the defining images from this game um, will be, and maybe from the Premier League season, uh, Jesse Marsh, whose dad dancing is getting better and better week on week, pacing around like an expectant father whose wife is in labour um, towards the end of that game. He he really does do touchline drama like nobody else. Uh, Manchester City 2, Fulham 1, although saying that, we're just about to move on to Pep Guardiola, who actually uh, celebrated in a camera lens this week, which I thought was quite uh, amazing. Uh, Manchester City 2, Fulham 1. Julian Alvarez's goal, absolutely terrific finish for him that I think Haaland would have been proud of. Uh, he came off the bench in Norwegian to score the winning penalty in injury time, his 18th league goal. 
Um, but he did have one ruled out for offside as well. Now, Darren, now, Darren, far be it for me to focus on the negatives here, but, but penalties. Talk to me about penalties. And I'll probably go seamlessly from this game onto the Forrester-Brentford game shortly afterwards. But how on earth was that Kevin De Bruyne one justified as a penalty? I, I, I just didn't get it. I just, I, I, I mean, I was with Andros Townsend yesterday and, and he was like, yeah, I could sort of see it. And then there was, Joby McEnough was like, oh, you know, I think it's a penalty. And I was like, but we've just raised the threshold for contact in the penalty area to give penalties. How on earth are we giving that as a penalty? Listen, the defender makes contact with the player. You can say that the action from the player was theatrical and you'd be absolutely right. But the defender does make contact with the leg of De Bruyne. And so if he, if the referee hadn't given it, we'd be on the pod today saying, how on earth did he not give a penalty for that? I, I totally agree with you on the theatrics of De Bruyne. Um, I, I, we saw a little bit of that with Harry Kane as well in the Spurs game as well. But offensive players are being told if you're caught in the box, go down. Because when you're honest and you stay up, you don't get penalties. And that's what's happening. Do we condone it? Of course we don't condone it. But as far as the contact is concerned, there was contact between the defender and De Bruyne. We'd, we'd be not being particularly honest if we said that there wasn't. Yeah, uh, but contact doesn't always mean penalty. And I think that if you hadn't have given that the referee on field, there was no way that the VAR would have intervened and said, you have to give a penalty. Like, no, I don't think they would have done. The, the same way that he didn't intervene and turn around and say, that's too soft because he can justify it in law. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't, listen, I mean, for me, I don't think that should be a You're about to do the forest game. I'm going to go on to the forest game in just a second. First of all, I must, because I can't just go on to the forest game, just go on to penalties and not talk about the fact that Manchester City are actually brilliant um, because they, they must be brilliant uh, because they won 2 1. They played against at Fulham. They had 10 men for about you know, 100 years. They still had 71% possession. They still made, managed 706 passes to 290. They still managed 16 shots. They had five shots on target and they had greater expected goals despite the fact that Jao Cancelo was sent off early in the game. By the way, he should have been sent off. He had to be sent off. Once you decide that's a penalty, now look, I didn't, listen, whether you think that's a penalty or not, again, that's probably up for debate, but I think it is a penalty on this occasion. Once you decide it's a penalty because he did, makes no genuine attempt to play the ball, he has to be sent off. So there's no argument with that when he breaks uh, when he uh, brings down Harry Wilson. Okay, so Manchester City are brilliant. They won 2-1. Let's talk about penalties because we'll retain in our mind the Kevin De Bruyne situation and then we will move to the City ground Nottingham Forest to their game against Brentford and we'll ask you for the difference between the challenge on Kevin De Bruyne and that on Emmanuel Dennis by Matthias Jensen. Alex Crook. What is the difference? <laughs> Again, it's the inconsistencies. But actually, that, that wasn't the decision that infuriated me in this game. It was the... Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. Just answer this one because there's quite a few to get through here. So that to you is the same as the De Bruyne one, correct? Yeah. Darren? No, I agree. I agree. I, they're, they're the same. Okay. So let's go to Yates and the penalty that he wanted and then the Cancelo penalty that we've just seen in the Manchester City game. Is the difference here just sheer force? Yeah, I think it's the level of contact. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. But again, if you're going to give one, do you have to give the other? It, it's a minefield, isn't it? Henderson? giving away a penalty never a pen if that is giving away a penalty never a pen how many penalties should there be in the match i thought it was a penalty crook i think that the referee sorry that the goalkeeper with his hand catches the the shin of the attacker i don't see how you can put your 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 hand on the shin of the attacker impede the attacker and not believe that's a penalty it's a penalty i watched it i've watched it 10 20 times, not once have I believed there was even any room for manoeuvre. And I must be watching it. Sometimes a football can be the emperor's new clothes and everyone goes with the, the, a particular opinion because of the person who's putting that opinion forward or because of the prevailing wind. But I have to say, if you're a goalkeeper and you put your hand on the shin of the guy who's trying to get around you and score, you're conceding a penalty. 
I think that the, the issue here is the, the the amount of contact and then the reaction. So it's 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 like a feather touch from Henderson. I, I, to be honest with you, this it's is not the biggest. You this is, him. but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a penalty. That is not that is not in the law of the game. You have to you have to have significant contact to impede someone's ability to play the ball. Did that happen? Did did that happen in in that moment? I'm not sure that it did. What about me on Gibbs White? Is that a penalty? What's the what's the bar? As you say, the the bar was supposed to be increased. So. Obviously, Gibbs White came out very strongly and 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 said they've been cheated. I think there'll, there'll be punishment for him to come, but I, I understand his frustration because we're sat here debating. We don't know what is and isn't a penalty anymore. I think Darren's totally wrong about the Henderson one. For me, that's never a penalty, and I think you agree, Sam. But if we don't understand the rules, how are players supposed to understand the rules and not get frustrated and not talk themselves into trouble? I, I think I think we, I spend a lot of time trying to understand the rules, the laws of the game. And yet still, I'm in a situation where I'm baffled by it. I was with Andros Townsend yesterday and we were having a laugh and a joke. And he said that he watched he watched a penalty decision in a game that we were doing, the Wrexham game in the FA Cup. And uh, he said, oh, it was a it, I, it, I first look, it was a penalty. Looked at the replay, wasn't a penalty. Looked at another angle, was a penalty. And I said, it's a good job you're not VAR. He said, well, look, VAR would have looked at it for at least 20 minutes and still come up with the wrong decision. The players are frustrated by the lack of consistency across the board. And whether you or not you believe the Henderson one is a penalty, Darren, whether or not you believe that there was a se- several mistakes in this Forest-Brentford game or not, you cannot argue with the fact that there is, across the league, a lack of a consistent standard as to what merits some of these big decisions. What is a foul and what is handball? Those things are not systematically defined in well enough for us to all be able to go, yes, that is, or no, that isn't. I, th- I, I I do agree with you on that, and I've said it for a long time. The issue isn't VAR. It's the people that are running it. There are lots of people who don't... Who, retired referees or referees that maybe should have been pensioned off a long time ago. Sorry, VAR operators who should have been pensioned off a long time ago. People who are covering each other's backs... Uh, you can only assume that from the decision making because sometimes they're defending the indefensible. Um, I, w- I will stand by what I think about the Henderson thing. It's okay for us to di- agree to disagree, but I just think that um, absolutely you, you can't. All opinions welcome here. I just, I just think that the inconsistency, as Crook says, is the thing that's so very infuriating because VAR was brought in to help officials. But if officials are going to use it to double down on poor decision-making, then we've got no chance. Wolves 2, Brighton 3. Terrific game. Uh, Julian Lepetegui is going to take over at Wolves in the uh, aftermath of the World Cup. Um, Adam Lalana was brilliant afterwards, claiming that uh, Brighton struggling for goals um, is absolute rubbish and then pointed out how many goals they'd scored at Anfield, how many goals they'd scored against Chelsea, and then how many goals they'd scored away at Wolves. And then basically said Danny Welbeck was worth 80 million quid. Which, by the way, when I said 80, when I said Danny Welbeck was a really good striker in midweek, you absolutely panned me, Alex Crook. But now Adam Lalana's saying he's worth 80 million. Listen, it was quite a compelling argument from Adam until he said Danny Welbeck was worth 80 million pounds. But when when he breaks it down and you know tells you where they have scored goals, it, it does make a mockery of those of us who are saying that's their biggest issue. I thought they were terrific, Brighton. Even when it was 11 against 11, they were the better side. They seem to have found another gem uh, in Matoma, who was excellent. You can understand why um, Mr. Wynn Stanley, the, the head of recruitment, is wanted by Chelsea because he's done a terrific job at Brighton. That would be another significant departure. And I think we're seeing now, it was a difficult start fixture-wise, but I think we're seeing what a good coach Deserby is. I know he's been on the radar of, of several Premier League clubs. And I think the future is very rosy for Brighton. And, and they could be one of those sides who can challenge for a European place. Why not? Uh, Mitoma played a pivotal role in the game, creating chances, including an opportunity for Gross's winner. He'll be seen at the World Cup in Japan's squad. He was brilliant. And his goals, he took his goals very, very well. During header was superb. Yeah, really good header. Really good header. Um, and the red card, he drew the red card from Nelson Semedo as well, who grabbed him round the waist and then had the propensity to look over his shoulder and say, what, what have I done here? Me? Red card? You must be joking. Um, West Ham won Crystal Palace 2. Um, super strike from Ben Rama on his 100th West Ham appearance. But it all unraveled towards the end. Now, what happened with that dramatic winner from Elise in the fourth minute of added time 
because I mean there was there was a shout for a penalty at the other end which was overturned and then they were on the attack Antonio had the ball and then very quickly it was turned over Crystal Palace counter-attacked and Elise scored the winner that's a gut-wrenching defeat for West Ham Darren yeah, it was. Antonio will have sleep will have sleepless nights over his failure to be able to put in a simple cross um, and the turnover of players, you say, and it ended up with the ball in the net at the other end. Elise, a player that all of us like. I think as far as West Ham are concerned, it kind of ended a, a really good run that they'd been on. And there's a little bit of pressure on David Moyes. That'll be interesting to watch. I think the World Cup and the timing of it might help him if he gets a couple of wins to bounce back before then. If he doesn't, then it could be a difficult summer, uh, difficult winter for him. See what I mean about the World Cup being at the yeah. World Cup? <laughs> uh, Everton nil, Leicester 2. Leicester out of the relegation zone into relative mid-table safety. Uh, superb strikes from Tielemans and Barnes in either half. Liverpool um, would have been proud of some of those hits. Uh, Leicester have now won three of their last four league matches. Brendan Rodgers has restored a little bit of confidence to the team. But uh, Everton will be a little bit disappointed. They were not very good in the first half and then the game just went away from them in the second. Once once Tielemans scored, really, it, it sort of drifted as a, as a football match for Everton. Madison being heavily tipped for a spot in Gareth Southgate's England squad, really. I mean, side's probably a little bit too strong. But he's now in a situation, Gareth Southgate, where he, he almost has to pick him. Yeah, he does. You know, you look at the stats, goals, assists, chances created he is top of just about every list so it would be a travesty uh again if gareth southgate doesn't pick him um and i think he has been he's been the heartbeat for leicester he's probably kept brendan rogers in a job to be honest because when they were really struggling he was the one shining light now they found a bit of form defensively danny ward who i keep leaving on the bench in my fantasy team and he keeps getting clean sheets um he's much improved i think about fast has made a big difference since coming in as well for a relatively modest sum so you know fair play to brendan rogers because i think most of us would have fired him after their start of the season you would so he deserves a lot of credit for coming through i would definitely have fired him but yeah madison has to go everton played okay in the first half i thought actually if if a robo tech Scores his chance. Yeah. It could be a different game. Yeah, uh, but they've got problems, haven't they? Because Iwobi and Calvert-Lewin both have picked up injuries and uh, it was a hamstring for Calvert-Lewin, which doesn't sound as if he's going to be available to get into that World Cup squad. Not necessarily sure he would have made it no. anyway. Um, but uh, we will talk a little bit about that, I suppose, on... Uh, well, I, I, will we? Actually, that's a good point. We might have to uh, work around that on uh, Friday morning because uh, ultimately... Uh, the England score will be out Thursday afternoon, so it might be part of our consideration going into the weekend. Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, we will see you at the end of the week for a preview to all the weekend's action. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. Uh, that's it from us. We'll be back uh, later in the week. If you are listening to this podcast, remember you can watch it on YouTube. It's available on the Talk Sport YouTube channel. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.